0: everyone, and welcome to another edition of Criminal Discourse Podcast. I'm Trish. And I'm Maddie. And we're back with you again this week with another new case. We hope you've enjoyed the episode you've listened to so far. We'd like to give a special shout out to our listeners in Ohio. Again, we don't know who you are, just kind of general area of where you are. So we'd like to thank our listeners in Columbus, Youngstown, Dayton, Napoleon, Toledo, Somerset, Bedford, Norwood, Willoughby, Mentor, Akron, Finlay, Cleveland, Stowe, Marysville, Hugh, Mansfield, Attica, Bowling Green, Perrysburg, Grove City, Middletown, Miamisburg, Bethel, Worcester, Lebanon, and Medina. So thank you so much, Ohio. That was a lot. Okay. <laughs> so. Ohio. All right. So if you haven't had an opportunity, I hope you've checked out our Facebook page at Criminal Discourse Podcast or our Instagram page, which is steadily growing, Maddie. We have had a lot of followers
1: add on. So a lot more than 12 now. Yay. And based on our conversation this morning, we're no longer basic. Is that the term we're using? I think that's what the youngins say. <laughs> yeah.
0: We might no longer be basic. So thank you again, everyone. And if you are interested in following us on Instagram, it is criminal dis pod d-i-s-p-o-d and of course we have our own website at criminaldiscoursepodcast.com. there is a contact page there so if you want to reach out to us with any questions or case suggestions we did do one a few weeks ago from stephanie from poughkeepsie and i think we have another one coming up from stephanie too we
1: do yay
0: all right so we're gonna get started on our new case this time we're going to canada we're giving Texas a break.
1: Texas, they just have so many interesting cases. They I can stay away from Texas.
0: They do have interesting cases. But so now we're going to Canada. We're going back to Canada. I think the last time we were in Canada was the, oh, Paul Bernardo, Carla Homolka. Yeah. The Ken and Barbie killer. So if you haven't listened to that episode, please do.
1: Oh, and we have a secret Vault Canada episode that we forgot about. Yes, we, we <laughs> recorded it like when we first started. And I kept thinking, don't we have another episode somewhere?
0: Because this kind of comes and we'll talk about that in the end. But we won't reference it because we never published it. <laughs> so, but someday we will publish it and you'll be able to hear. We'll be going back to Canada for that one, too. All right. We are going to start in September 9th. 1949. Canadian Pacific Airlines DC Flight 108 took off from Montreal. Bound for the lumber town of Bay Cumon, approximately two hundred and twenty miles away. I will say Maddie speaks French and I only have two years of high school back in the eighties, so I apologize for any mispronunciations. <laughs> we'll get through it together. You're my babble. <laughs> there was a brief stopover in Quebec City for an additional passengers and packages to be placed on board, and this was at the and this was at the airport in Ancienne Lorette. So sixteen minutes into the flight, there was an explosion over Sault. Couchon, a town located at the point of the little St. Francis River and the St. Lawrence River, this resulted in flight one zero eight dropping out of the sky and slamming into a mountain. One witness to the air disaster reported that there really wasn't a fire, just a mass of wreckage, and all those bodies. Nineteen passengers and four crew members would perish with only one corpse having a recognizable face, and that was of passenger. Rita Gouet. A coroner's jury would come to conclude that the mid-air explosion had occurred in the forward luggage compartment. A metal box had been found amongst the wreckage that would become the focus of the investigation. Investigators discovered that a 28-pound package had been rushed on board moments before takeoff, so the hunt was on for whoever delivered that package. Now, a cab driver did come forward once this news broke and reported that a woman had hired him to drive her to the airport that day, and he claimed she was in a hurry. And when he had swerved to avoid hitting a truck, she said, and this is a quote, these aren't eggs I'm carrying. The package that the mysterious woman brought to the airport to be loaded on flight 108 was addressed to a Mr. LaRouche, which turned out to be a fictitious name. I don't know how it's fictitious because it sounded like, was there a first name on this? Because (laughs) LaRouche, I would think would be pretty common. But what wasn't fictitious was that the parcel had been packed with dynamite and nor was the fact that this would turn out to be Canada's first act of air terrorism. So who was Rita Gouet? She was the wife and mother who was married to Albert Gouet. And her maiden name was actually Rita Morel. Rita and Albert had met at the Canadian Arsenals Limited in St. Malo, Quebec. This was a factory that was utilized during World War II. And Albert there, I think he had a supervisory job. He made like 40 hours a week. He made good money. He took a liking to Rita. She was very beautiful. And they seemed to hit it off right away. And they married soon after. And their marriage seemed to be a happy one until the birth of their first and only child. Now, Albert Gouet was born Joseph Albert Gouet and was the youngest of five children born in 1917 in Quebec, Canada. And now Albert was said to have been mm, spoiled from the start, baby of the family, and what Albert wanted, Albert got. So he got into the jewelry trading business. He sold watches and other jewelries for commission, along with his job that he had kept at the factory until the plant closed in 1945. An article written by Gouet's neighbor and friend, Roger Lemonlin, entitled My Friend Gouet, the Murderer, can be found online. And it's where I found a lot of the background information that I'll be sharing with you. Now, Albert was described as always being one to dress for success, so to speak. And he stood out amongst his working class neighborhood. I mean, he dressed for the nine even though this were like, you know, blue collar workers. And although he had a slight build and a thin face, he walked with an air of self-importance and
1: confidence. Well, getting everything you want for your entire life will do that.
0: That is correct. His shoes were always dark and polished. His slacks were always pressed. And again, he stood out amongst this working class neighborhood. He also drove a car, which wasn't very common for this neighborhood at all. He would put on great displays of affection towards his wife, Rita, kissing her, calling her pet names. And he did this out in public. And this kind of shocked the neighbors, because again, we're talking the 40s. But also, this was a heavily Catholic neighborhood. So they felt that that behavior was better left behind closed doors and not out in the open. He's also described as someone who was, and this is a quote, was interested in everything, yet knew nothing, was completely irresponsible, imaginative, yet devoid of any practical sense, unquote.
1: I feel like I know people like him. That is correct,
0: I do. <laughs> I had a couple of people pop into mind when I was reading them. I'm like, no, I know someone like that. <laughs> Albert also seemed unlucky when it came to being robbed. In over a two-year time period, Albert would come to be robbed at least four times. Now, he was a jeweler, so, I mean, it made him a target, I'm sure. But the thief would never be caught. Albert always pocketed the insurance money, and Albert always made sure he had plenty of insurance. You see where I'm going with this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so when the Arsenal factory closed, Albert decided to open up Malt jewelry and watch repair shop in his neighborhood in Quebec cities. Prior to that, he'd been working out of his apartment. But his bad luck seemed to follow him to his store as he sustained fire damage on at least two occasions. The insurance covered the loss. So Albert, as I mentioned before, was brought up as a spoiled child. He was expected to have everything and anything he wanted, and that unfortunately did not diminish with age. But things hadn't really turned out like Albert expected, and in fact, he was experiencing financial ruin, running into a lot of debt with the birth of his first child, he was no longer the central focus of his wife's attention. And that's when he started to look outside his marriage and began a relationship with a 17-year-old waitress by the name of Marie-Ange Robitaille. Marie-Ange was a waitress at the restaurant Chez Gerard. Albert took on a new identity of Roger and began to call upon Marie-Ange at least three nights a week at her parents' residence. Now, they were all unaware at this time that he was actually a 30-year-old married man with a child. That kind of puts it. Damper on a relationship. I bet,
1: especially when parents are involved in a highly Catholic neighborhood.
0: Correct. Their relationship actually lasted several months until Rita found out and she confronted them in the Robitai's living room.
1: So when we say confronted them,
0: Oh, I think it was Marie Ange and Albert and the parents. Ooh. Yeah, that would have been quite a scene, I'm <laughs> sure. So in debt, no mistress, a strained relationship with his wife now, Albert began to devise a way to at least improve hmm, at least two of those situations. So it's believed that Albert drew his inspiration for his plan after reading an article about a failed murder plot that took place in the Philippines where a woman, along with some accomplices, had tried to kill her husband after placing a time bomb on a plane that he was to be on. Now, this wasn't successful and the the plane didn't blow up and they caught them in time, but he had read this article. So to carry out this plan, Albert realized he needed at least two accomplices. And in comes General Roost. He's a pseudo friend and employee of Albert's. General was a watchmaker. And with his knowledge of mechanics, Albert convinced him to build him a time bomb. Now, Marguerite Ruspiet was General's sister, and she was brought into the plan as being the one to purchase the dynamite and the detonating caps that were to be used in the bomb.
1: Do you just like go to the Quebec City version of Walmart for that? Like, where do you get detonating caps? Oh, back then you could. You could
0: go into hardware stores, and that's what she did. And she told the store clerk that these were needed for blowing up tree stumps.
1: Just handing out dynamite. Yeah,
0: go down to your Ace Hardware, and you you can buy dynamite and detonating caps back then you can't do that now. She was also the mysterious woman who took the bomb to the airport to be boarded on the plane. Now, Albert had even taken the same trip, the same route that Rita's plane was going to be taken, and he wanted to make sure that the bomb would explode over the water. Albert felt that it would help cover up any evidence, especially if the bodies were washed out to sea. Now, using the schedule that Albert came up with, General constructed a timing device and set it to explode when the flight would be over the water. So two weeks before the bombing, Albert and Rita had begun to repair and rekindle their relationship. Friends would say they acted like a couple enjoying their honeymoon. Albert even went back to buying Rita flowers every week like he had done so when they first got together. And Albert had even persuaded Rita to do him a favor and go on this business trip to pick up some gems that he was unable to go on. So Rita was reluctant at first, but eventually, you know, conceded. And on September 9th, 1949, Albert bought her a ticket for Canadian Pacific Airlines flight 108 to Bay Kumu. So along with Rita's ticket, Albert purchased $10,000 in life insurance policy for the flight. Now, this was not uncommon in those times to do that. I think a lot of passengers who flew back then, maybe because it wasn't so reliable transportation, I don't know, would buy life insurance. But Albert also only bought it for one way. It wasn't a round trip.
1: Whatever, Albert. Okay. I'm not liking Albert too much. So on September
0: 9th, 1949, Albert's plan seemed to be going perfectly. But what he didn't count on was that Rita's flight was delayed from takeoff for about five minutes. Those
1: pesky flight delays. We've all experienced them. Well,
0: in more than five minutes. I gotta yeah. say, That's pretty good. So this delay resulted in the plane exploding over land and not over the St. Lawrence River leaving dead bodies and a debris field and enough clues to aid in the investigation. Now, in all, there were four crew members and 19 passengers. Three of them were said to be children along with their mother. Three of them were American businessmen, all from the Kennecott Utah Copper Corporation. The bomb would be composed of dynamite an alarm clock with batteries and was simple but effective. Now afterwards, Albert had put on a great display of grief at Rita's funeral, purchasing a floral cross that was at least five feet high with the inscription that read, From Your Beloved Albert. And he would remain at the funeral parlor from dawn until dusk. But he did take time out within three days after the bombing to collect on Rita's life insurance policy, along with another $5,000 policy he had taken out on Rita in 1942.
1: So do we know what that is in today's his money? I don't.
0: But I mean, well, back then, 1949, $15,000, I would imagine it was a sweet chunk of change. So, newspaper coverage at the time reported that the police were looking for a mysterious woman who had delivered the package to the airport. And the description they gave fit Marguerite to a T. So, Albert went to see Marguerite and convinced her to take her own life by poisoning herself and to leave behind a note which he scripted. So, this is the note quote, Do not look for the guilty one. I am dead. I did it. I wanted to destroy Mrs. Gouet.
1: How is, is, was Albert this convincing? Like, did we, how did he do this?
0: He must have been. I read some other articles that alluded to the fact that he might have had a relationship with Marguerite, and perhaps because the description they gave, she knew, like... That it was going to be her? Yeah, like she was going to be found out. So Marguerite did, in fact, try to commit suicide 10 days after the bombing, but she was unsuccessful because she had miscalculated the right amount of poison needed to do the job. I mean, she didn't, she didn't take it (laughs) off, (laughs) basically. So she awoke in the hospital in police custody, and she confessed her part. But she told police she didn't know she was delivering a bomb. She thought it was a statue. Like Albert had given her this box, and to deliver to the airport that it was very important to get delivered, and she's saying she thought it was just a statue. She didn't realize there was a bomb.
1: Okay, so life tip. If you're buying someone detonating caps, and then they give you a box and say, put this on the plane right quick. It's probably not a statue.
0: Well, her brother told police that Albert told him the bomb was to be used for clearing tree stumps from a field. So when she said, I went to the store and bought the dynamite and the detonating caps, it was to clear these stumps from the field, as she told the hardware guy. And according to General, he was told, yeah, can you build me a device to blow up these tree stumps? I'm not really sure why you need a timing device to blow up tree stumps. So I'm not really thinking they're all telling the truth here. So Albert Gaway was arrested two weeks after the bombing and would stay in prison until his trial. In February of 1950, Albert was found guilty and was sentenced to hang. After his conviction, Albert told the police that both General and Marguerite had knowingly helped him. Albert Gouet was hanged on January 12, 1951, at the age of 32. His last words were, Oh, moi, je meurs célèbre, which translates to, At least I die famous. General was arrested on June 6, 1950 tried in November of 1950 and hung on July 25, 1952 at the age of 54. Marguerite was arrested on June 14, 1950, so a few days after her brother. She was tried separately on March 6, 1951 and hung on January 9th, 1953. This was a little less than six months after her brother had been hung. Marguerite was only the 13th woman to be put to death in Canada and actually would be the last woman ever to be hanged in Canada. All three executions took place in Montreal. So remember when I said Albert got his inspiration from the failed plane bombing in the Philippines? Well, someone got their inspiration from Albert. John Gilbert Graham was 23 at the time, was living in Colorado, and he was the first person to be criminally prosecuted in the United States for placing 25 sticks of dynamite along with a timing device aboard United Airlines Flight 629 from Denver, Colorado to Portland, Oregon on November 1st, 1955. Now Graham at the time had collected about $37,500 from a life insurance policy he had taken out on his mother who had died in that explosion along with 43 other people. Now I do know in 2018 that half thousand would actually be equal to 350000 in 2018. So again, a big chunk of change. Graham was found guilty by a jury of his peers and executed by the state of Colorado in 1957 in the gas chamber. His last words, and I don't need these translated. (laughs) His last words, and this is a quote, As far as feeling remorse for these people, I don't. I can't help it. Everyone pays their way and takes their chances. That's just the way it goes. That's pretty cold. Yeah. So we've mentioned this before in previous episodes that most killers are either psychopaths or sociopaths in some way, but both share the common feature of having an antisocial personality disorder. So I feel both of these guys, this John Gilbert Graham and Albert Gouet, I feel that they're both kind of psychopaths in that they plan their murders with little regard to the loss of life it would entail. Clearly, they lacked any remorse or empathy. I mean, Albert's saying, well, at least I die famous. And Graham's saying, well, you know,
1: I don't care. Yeah, It's
0: just the way it goes. That they really didn't have any deep emotional attachments to their targets. And in Albert's case, he saw Rita's demise as a mean to an end and an opportunity to rekindle his relationship with Marie Ange, not even thinking about his daughter growing up without her mother or really any of the other passengers on board and how their deaths would affect their family members. So when I was thinking of The criminal discourse life tip, like what would be a really good life tip? I would say this. Always look to see if a person's buying you a plane ticket if it's round trip.
1: (laughs) Because if it's one way,
0: I wouldn't get on that plane.
1: I'll keep an eye out for that. I actually am going to be flying to Quebec City in a couple months. So and my husband's in charge of buying the tickets. Yeah, but he's going to be on the flight with you. No, he's not. He has to fly separately with work. Oh, yeah. Make sure that's So I can get my own ticket. Maybe I'll just take the train.
0: Or just drive on up there. It's not that far from where we. Yeah, I mean,
1: Quebec City. It's hella far. Montreal is like an eight-hour drive from here. Oh. Yeah, Quebec City is like I would I would almost say twice that. No, I think it's more than that. Is it? Here, you gonna look it up?
0: Yeah. <laughs> that people care how far we are how from far we are <laughs> how from Quebec City.
1: So thank you so much for
0: listening, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you have any questions on it or any case suggestions for us, please feel free to reach out to us on our contact page on
1: our website at criminaldiscoursepodcast.com dot com. Maddie, any life tips from you? I just really I just don't like out and I, the the worst part almost is. That the whole lovey-dovey thing, which I think we've seen before too in these spousal murders because they're trying to get the scent off of them, kind of make people think that they have a perfect relationship right before. Right. Well,
0: we saw that with Harold Hinthorne, mm-hmm. where he, his wife, Tony, they had gone hiking for their anniversary in Colorado and he ended up, you know, pushing her off a cliff. It's just sad. I think all our cases are sad. I think oh, I say it's... that every episode. We don't really talk about a fun, lively subject. I mean, it's a fascinating subject, but it's not really a feel-good kind of thing. No.
1: And it makes you think, because when you marry someone, it's supposed to be your your life partner, like your ride or die. And the fact that that person that's closest to you would intentionally murder you in this, and even more so in this awful way, it's just... So. it is happy valentine's day everybody wow is this coming out <laughs> valentine's day wait
0: no it's afterwards 220 no the axe murders of laredo are <laughs> on valentine's day no so yeah in the month of love <laughs> sorry and i think too it's and we've heard that before at least in harold Hinthorne's case he didn't take other people out around him yeah i mean when he murdered his wife that's the only person he murdered whereas these individuals again total disregard for life it was a means to an end like oh well you're on the plane too mm. So unlucky that they didn't even think. Yeah. I mean, you talk about antisocial, self-centered, narcissist, Albert, you check all the boxes. All right, everyone. Thank you again for listening. And all we would ask that if you like what you hear, if you could give us a review on any of the platforms you listen to us on. I think we're on basically all of them now. It was a lot of work, but even Pandora came through. I think that was the last (laughs) one. So Pandora, iHeart, iTunes, Google, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, if you could give us a review, that would be great. And tell other people about it. This really is kind of an organic podcast at this point.
1: No fertilizer
0: here. That's right. It's just a labor of love. So thank you again, as I always in the episode, if you see something say something. Perhaps if Marguerite or General would have said something like right after the explosion to say, oh my gosh, we might have unwillingly had something to do with this and come forward, it might have turned out a little differently from them. But you might have that missing piece of the puzzle it takes to solve a crime. So please, until next time, stay safe, but also let's be kind to one another. So until next time, guys, bye. bye.